chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was six cubits and its width six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon, and King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations and languages, that at the time that you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and psaltery and symphony and all kinds of music, that you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Whosoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. So at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, the flute, harp, and lyre, and in symphony with all kinds of music, and all the people, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped, the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. They spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and psaltery, and symphony, with all kinds of music, shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast in the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, so they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, if you are ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, and in symphony with all kinds of music, And you fall down and worship the image which I have made good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is this God who will deliver you from my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And He will deliver us from your hand, O King. But if not, let it be known to you, O King, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression of his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. 
And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind them and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments and were cast in the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound in the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he arose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men? bound into the midst of the fire. They answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Father, this morning, I pray you would anoint me with anointing and unction from heaven to preach Your holy Word. Father, I pray that You would move through me and God, that Your Word this morning would go forth, produce the fruit, God, You desire it to do. God, I pray for healing this morning. I pray for uh, salvation this morning. I pray for encouragement, God, to that saint. God, that is discouraged. Lord, I just pray, God, that You would work in our midst, Father. And do what only You can, Father. Let Your Word speak. God, as the song said, it's not that I need to be heard, Lord. It's that Your Word. Let it speak to us this morning. And Father, we'll be careful to give You and You only the praise that You deserve. In Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated. I want to talk to you this morning about the fourth man. He was there in the midst of the fire. But I want to submit this morning that not only was He there in the midst of the fire, He was there before they were ever thrown into that fire. Sometimes it's the most difficult of circumstances in our life that allow others and at times even allow us to realize how near He is to us when we need Him most. It was in the flames that He was seen. We know that God is always with us, but there are times, if we're honest, when it seems like He is not. I know because the Word of God tells me that He's promised never to leave me and never to forsake me, and that His Word is always true, that He accomplishes every promise that He ever speaks. I know that He's with me. But can I tell you, it doesn't always seem that way. It doesn't always feel like it. There are circumstances in our life for various different reasons that bring us to a place where if we're honest this morning with one another, we feel distant from God in that place. And and we're beginning to wonder, God, where are you at in all of this? And Lord, where is your presence when I need it most? And God, where are the answers to my prayers? And and, and while you know up here that His Word says He's right there with you, it doesn't seem like it at the time. But this morning, can I tell you, 
He was there. He was there. This morning, I don't have a long message, praise the Lord. But I do want to talk to you about seven places that God wants you to know He was there. There's nothing worse than feeling distant from God. It is a terrible feeling. I have been there before. I know what it's like. And while I know cognitively, because the Word of God tells me He's with me, I feel so distant at times. It feels like you're just grasping for even a touch of His presence, some reassurance that, Lord, you're with me. That place is a very hard place to be. And as a child of God who has experienced the love and the warmth and the embrace of the Heavenly Father, there is nothing worse than moving into a period or a place in your life when you are distant from what seems to be that presence. And this morning I want to look with you at, with you at seven places God wants you to know He was there. The first one we have just read, and that is in the fire of persecution. You know, there are times when we stand alone. There are times when it seems like everybody else is not going to do the right thing. And if you stand up and you do the right thing, you're going to be punished for it. You're going to be thrown in that fire, if you will. You're going to be bound up and you're going to be persecuted. And sometimes we pray, Lord, remove me out of this place. God, help, help me, Lord, to, to, to be safe through this. Lord, don't allow this thing to happen. And, and what we don't understand is that there are times in our lives when God will bring us to the furnace, if you will. And when we stand for Him, even though we're standing alone, when we stand for Him and we refuse to bow down at an altar that is a false altar, at that golden image, when we refuse to bow down to that, we are a testimony to God. And it is in that fire that He shows up. The story goes on and it tells us that there wasn't even the scent of smoke on their clothes. God is with us in the flames of persecution. I want to encourage our young people here this morning to stand up for God at your schools. Stand up when your friends try to pressure you into sin and doing things you know you ought not do and go places you know that you shouldn't be and, 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 and participate in things you should not participate in. Stand up for your God and know that even though persecution may come and even though ridicule may come, He will be with you in the flames of your persecution. He is with us always. I believe if you look throughout the Word of God and you look at those that, that stand victorious in the face of fear, you know, I believe that David in his flesh had a hint of fear when he first saw Goliath. But as he remembered his God and he remembered that his God was with him, David began to remind himself of all the times that God was there in the past. And what does he tell King Saul? Well, hold on a second, King. God was with me and I, I slayed this bear and I slayed this lion. And he began to remember 
when God was there. And you look at the times when people fall and when people fail, it is generally when they begin to forget God is with me. If God is for me, then none can be against me and God will deliver me. Amen. One of the worst things we can do in our despair and in our tragedy is lose sight of the reality that He is here. It's when I feel that God is distant. It's when I feel like I've got to go this thing all alone and I've got to make my own decisions and I'm, all of a sudden I'm going to have to fight my own way out of this. And, and we feel like God is not here and God is not working. It is then that we get ourselves in trouble. He is with us in the flames of persecution. They were standing alone. Everybody else is only offering false worship and false sacrifice. You know, there is a, and it, it has always been, a small pocket of people that are 100% authentic. Doesn't mean they're perfect. Doesn't mean they don't mistakes, make mistakes. But you know, these young men, you know what they could have done? They could have, what, Many of, of us would have done. They could have just prayed and said, God, we're going to kneel, but we're not actually pledging allegiance and we're just going to do this. They could have said, well, God, He is the King and we're just going to show Him respect. Uh, we're not worshiping Him. You are our King. They could have made excuses for their compromise, but they did not. And friend, when you stand in that place, most of the time you'll stand alone, but know this, God is with you. Yes. He has not abandoned you. He has promised that He would never leave you or forsake you. And even when it feels like He is distant, He is so close to you that He can hear your thoughts. And when the world seeks to silence your voice, God is with you. He's with us in the fire of persecution, number one. Number two, He's with us on the mountain of sacrifice. In Genesis chapter 22, you know the story, and I have a lot of texts this morning. I'm not going to read most of them, but I'll tell you where the story's found. In Genesis chapter 22, Abraham has waited all of his life for the promised son. There came a time in their life, and we'll look at Abraham's failure later, but there came a time in their life when Abraham and his wife Sarah decided that God is not going to, there's nothing He can do. We are past the age of bearing children and, 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 and we're going to have to find some other way to get this son. And, and Abraham and uh, Sarah made the decision for Abraham to, to uh, have a son through Sarah's handmaiden. And God eventually comes to Abraham. He says, Abraham, I told you that I would give you a son. And in Sarah's old age, she bore to him the promised son, Isaac. And in Genesis chapter 22, we find that, 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 that Abraham and Isaac are on their way up this mountain and God has asked Abraham to offer up as a sacrifice his only son. I don't know how old the boy Isaac is, but he was old enough to carry wood which tells me that him and his father had had plenty of years to build an intimate and a deep relationship. 
And Abraham would take his son up the mountain to the place that God had told them. And Abraham would take his son and he would lay him on that altar. Can I tell you at times, God asks us to sacrifice things that just don't make sense. And as we see in the life of Abraham, it wasn't really the sacrifice that God wanted. It was Abraham. It's not really the thing in your life that God wants. It's you. God wants you, not just some of you, not half of you. He wants all of you. And in that place of sacrifice, when it feels like God is asking you to just give it everything that you have, A lot of times it's that one last thing. God, this is mine. And God says, are you really mine? How much of you do I have? I don't doubt that Abraham felt all alone on that mountain. Sometimes I wish the Bible recorded stuff that it doesn't record. I wonder what he was thinking. I wonder what was running through his mind. We do know that in Hebrews chapter 11, the Bible tells us that Abraham believed that God would have raised Isaac from the dead. So we know that Abraham, one of his thoughts at least, was that this thing is going to go all the way through and I'm going to slay my son. I wonder the thoughts that ran through his mind. You see, God knew all along that the event wasn't going to happen. God knew all along. But can I tell you, God takes us to places in our life where things don't make sense. And you've got but two options. Option number one, trust God and you just do what He says. Option number two, don't trust God and turn from Him. That place is a difficult place to be. Well, God, I'm just simply going to trust You and walk by faith. It's in that place of self-sacrifice. You see, what Abraham was offering up, as much as he was his son, Abraham was offering up himself. There was nothing more important to Abraham than his son Isaac. He had waited a hundred years for this son. And when he finally had the son, his only son. God says, give him back to me. In the place of sacrifice, when God is asking you to just die to yourself and give up your dreams, your goals, and submit to His dreams and His goals and His will, friend, He is there on that mountain. Amen. And Abraham went to raise up that knife. Man, I wonder what was racing through his mind. It is difficult for us to fathom. And the knife is in the air, and the voice from heaven says, Abraham, don't slay your son. I see that you have not withheld your only son from me. And God again confirms His promise to Abraham. Can I tell you, He's with us in the flames of persecution and He is with us on the mountain of sacrifice.
The third place that God wants you to know this morning, child, I was there, is in the storms of life. In Matthew chapter 8, In verse 23, now when he, that is Jesus, got into the boat, his disciples followed him, and suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea so that the boat was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. Then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. But he said to them, why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea. And there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey Him? The third place God wants you to know this morning that He was there is in the storms of your life. You know, it's interesting. It says Jesus went into the boat and His disciples followed Him. And suddenly a great storm arose. First of all, storms come suddenly. The violent storms of life, rarely do you ever see them come. It's almost like you wake up one day and wham, you are in the middle of a violent storm. What else is interesting about this text is that they followed Him and then come the storm. Storms do come even when we're following Jesus. Even when you're following God, they show up. And in that place, the waves are rocking. We see His disciples in confusion. One of the Gospels even tells us, it's an interesting comment from Peter. Peter says, Carest thou whether or not we perish? Peter began to think, Do you not care, Lord? Can I tell you, I've been in a storm before. And if I was honest before God's people, my mind has thought the same ridiculous thoughts. Lord, don't you care? Don't you see that this is painful? That these waves are brutal? What did I do to deserve this storm? God, I've been following You. I was going where You were going. If I hadn't followed You, I wouldn't even be in this boat tonight in the middle of this storm. The lesson this morning, child of God, is that He has never abandoned you. He was there. He was there. He was there in that storm. Sometimes the storms come suddenly and they're violent. And in that place, in the storms of life, there is confusion. There is chaos. Things do not make sense. And one of the worst things about a storm is that it's out of your control. If there's one thing you and I as humans don't have any control over at all, it is a storm. You're serving God. You're following Him. You're doing the right things. And it is raining. It's especially difficult for us men. We like to be in control. 
We like to be able to fix problems. When the storm is raging, we would like to be able to do this thing or that thing to cause it to cease. Sometimes God takes us into the heart of a storm to teach us that He's the only one that has the power to cause it to cease. He was there in your storm. God wants you to know this morning that in your pain and in your suffering and in your confusion and in your anger and in your hurt, He was there. He didn't leave you there alone to deal with it. He was there. He's there in the fire of persecution. He's there on that mountain of sacrifice. He is there through the storms of life. He was there all the time. We find in our text, Jesus tells them, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid, for He is with us. The fourth place, God wants you to know He was there. In Mark chapter 6 and verse 48, we find the disciples in another storm. But I want to concentrate not on the storm so much as the time. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night he came to them walking on the sea, and he would have passed them by. He was there in the fourth watch of your night. The Jewish night is divided into four watches. In the fourth watch is the final watch. It is the time just before the dawn of day. It is the darkest part of the night. The quietest part of the night. And when you've been up all night and you're waiting for the day, it is always the longest part of the night. You ever felt like you've waited forever? You've been praying for something for so long. And you're just about to give up. You see, that's the fourth watch. It's been dark a long time. You've been waiting for the sun to rise up on that problem for a very long time. A lot of times when you've been there all night long, and you've prayed through the darkness, and you've hoped for the light, and you've been looking for the light at the end of the tunnel, you've been looking for the sun to just rise up and shine some light into that dark and lonely place an answer to your problem. You've been waiting and waiting. It's in that fourth watch where we begin to lose hope. It's in that fourth watch where thoughts begin to, to, to roll through our mind. Well, maybe God's just never going to do this thing. I mean, I've prayed for years for this. I've done everything I can. And we start to accept that maybe the sun's never going to rise on this problem. Maybe God's never going to meet this need. And it's dark. Can I tell you, friend, 
He's there too. He is there too. He has not left you. He has not forsaken us. He's there in the fourth watch of your night. He knows the pain that you and I deal with. He knows the confusion that that ravages our mind when we've been praying and praying and hoping and hoping and it just seems that the darkness stays. He is there in the fourth watch of the night. He's there in the fire of persecution. He's there on the mountain of your sacrifice. He is there through the storms of your life. He is there in the fourth watch of the night. And I want to spend a little extra time this morning on number five. And I want you to listen closely to number five. He is there in the valley of your failure. I want to deal with three men this morning. Actually, four. But three that triumphed, even through their failure. First of all, I want us to think about Abraham. And for the sake of time, I'm going to deal with one of his failures. I strategically chose three of the Bible's greatest men of God. We're going to look at Abraham, we're going to look at King David, and we're going to look at Peter this morning. And we're going to see that even in their failure, God was faithful. Abraham had left. He had received the promise of God. He had left his hometown and he was traveling where God had told him to go. And a famine arises. And the Bible tells us that Abram, at that time his name was Abram, that Abram and his wife Sarai went down to Egypt. And we see this great man of God who trusted God, who believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness, who had left everything to go into a land where he didn't know where God was going to show him. We see him break down in his faith. And he begins to lose his trust in God and He begins to be fearful that God will not provide. And so he runs to the land of Egypt for provision. And on his way there, he begins to think, man, my wife, she's a pretty lady. And and these Egyptians, they've got no respect for me or my family. and They'll just kill me and take my wife. And so he says to his wife, just tell them you're my sister. You know, it's interesting that really she was his half-sister. And I tell you this morning that One of the key ways that you can know that you're really starting to slide back in the wrong direction is you start telling half-truths. And technically it's true, I mean, what I said. But you know darn well that there's an ulterior motive. There's something else that's really going on. And you're not really telling the whole truth. And you're not really living wholehearted. Abram was there. The great Abraham, whom the promised seed would come from. And he eventually does go to this land. He lies about who his wife is. Not only is it a vile and detestable thing, but we must understand the difference 
between the people of Egypt and the people of God. And for him to take his wife, it's wrong, period, but for him to take his wife and put her in the hands of these, of these people of Egypt and lie about who she is, what would have happened had God not intervened? And if we were there, you and I, we were sitting on the sidelines and we see Abram discussing with his wife. Don't tell him you're really my wife. We see Abram not trusting God to provide and running to the land of Egypt for provision, lying about who his wife is, being willing to just put her in the hands of these Egyptian people and whatever happens to her, happens to her. At least his life would be preserved. You and I would have thought this thing, there's no way God's going to do anything with this man. You've blown it, Abraham. Can I tell you that even in his failure, God was faithful. Amen. Even in his failure, God was faithful and God's plan was not thwarted and God intervened. God would not allow some present circumstance or failure to stop His eternal purpose for Abraham's life. And child of God, God is not going to allow some present circumstance or failure in your life to stop His eternal plan for your life either. Amen. The second person we want to look at, David, King David. I'm not going to deal with his classic failure this morning with Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite. But I want to bring your memory to when David uh, and his men were living in the hills, and in the forest, and in caves. And they went to King Achish. And David began to be fearful for his life. Remember, this is David that by himself went with a few stones and a sling and looked this massive man, a giant of a man, Goliath, in the eyes and said, you come to me with a sword, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. Now he's in front of King Achish. And for some reason, unknown to us, his faith just flees. And David thinks, I'm going to die. I mean, he was ready to fight Goliath. But King Achish, he's not prepared for David's men are with him. These men that know of his victories, that know that God has a plan for him, that know that he was anointed king. And David begins to act insane. He begins to allow spit to drool out of his mouth. He starts acting like he's a madman and with rabies or something. He falls to the ground. He's scratching himself. He's acting like a total lunatic. And King Achish says, why have you brought this lunatic before me? Could you imagine being David's men? I mean, these men that knew of his great warrior mentality and the great victory he had with Goliath and that God had anointed him king over Israel. 
And there they see him. So afraid, he just starts pretending he's insane and spit running down his face and he falls to the ground and he's, and he's scratching all over and he's acting like a madman. Again, if you and I were there, you know what we probably would have said? This isn't the king of Israel. God's not going to use this guy, David. You blew it. Where was your faith, David? Where's your faith in your God? I ask you again this morning. Did God say, well, I'll just find somebody else. I'm not going to use this lunatic. I want to submit not only did God not say that, but even in the midst of his fear and his acting insane, Saul's kingdom was fading day by day. It was weakening. And God's plan for David's life was being worked out continually, even though David couldn't see it. Because God is faithful to you, even when you fail Him. I can testify that in my life I've been through storms. I've been in the fire of persecution. I've been in the fourth watch of night. Those are all hard places to be. But I have never felt as distant from God than when I was in the smack dab middle of an absolute all-out failure. And I'm thinking, God, how could you use somebody like me if they only knew? How could you ever... Use me to preach. How could you ever do anything with me? It is in that place of failure we feel so distant. But this morning, God wants you to know, child, He's never left you. He's never forsaken you. His plans are not thwarted. And even when we are faithless, He is still faithful. I believe David was weary from waiting on his promise from God. Perhaps like David this morning, you've gone through some kind of insane period in your life. You have faced utter chaos. You even gave up. You said, I can't handle it anymore. You acted out according to your flesh. You played the fool and you got ahead of God. Before it was all said and done, I believe just like David, when he got away from that place, you ended up angry at yourself, disappointed, ashamed. You thought, how could an anointed, spirit-filled believer like me have failed God so miserably? Surely, His blessing is taken from me now. Surely, His plans have changed. I've been vile, I've been manipulative, I've been hateful, I've been deceitful, I've been dishonest, I have been faithless. God can't use me anymore. And I tell you this morning, yes, He can. And can I tell you, not because of anything we've done, but because of the precious work of the cross, that was a good song we sang this morning, the glory of the cross. Not because of anything I've done. Not because I'm God's favorite child. He makes me feel that way sometimes, but He loves each and every child the same. But because of the blood that was shed on Calvary's hill, 
even in in my faithlessness and when I falter and when I fail, His grace is sufficient. He has not forsaken me. He is still with me, even in that place, child. When you feel all alone this morning, God wants you to know that He was there. He was there. We see with Peter, Peter was a man of God that found himself fearful, wavering in his faith, denying the Lord. Jesus had said to Peter that he was going to trust him with the keys to the kingdom. And I ask one more time this morning, it's the last time I'll ask it. Just imagine being there at Peter's denial of the Lord. Cursing, denying the Lord. Not only I don't even know him, I'm not one of his disciples. Imagine us being there, watching him deny the Lord. You and I would have probably said, This ain't no one to be trusted with the kingdom, keys to the kingdom. God had a plan for your life, sir, but you just blew it. He'll find somebody else. Yet, God is faithful. This morning, God wants you to know, if you're in the valley of failure, just turn to Him this morning. Just turn to Him. Turn to Him. fourth person I want to talk about this morning is King Saul. It's important that I discuss King Saul and look at the other side of the coin because this morning there is really only one thing that can abort God's wonderful plan for your life. What is that one thing? It is a stubborn heart of pride. You see, all those men that I just discussed, Abraham, David, Peter, their hearts would be broken before the Lord eventually. They would repent of their sins. But King Saul, not so. King Saul's heart would be stubborn and he would refuse to admit he had anything that he had done wrong. Samuel comes to him and the very first thing Saul says is, I've done everything God called me to do. Everything God said, I've done it. He's lying, number one, about what he's done for God. We must be careful with the stubborn heart of pride. And then all of a sudden, Samuel says, then what's the bleeding of the sheep that I hear in my ears? And rather than allowing his heart to be broken and say, I've disobeyed God, I haven't followed Him. He says, well, I was just taking these to offer God a great sacrifice. It is amazing what pride will do to our hearts. We'll justify our sin. We'll explain why we had to do what we did. That's the only thing this morning that can keep you from receiving that healing and that fullness and that relationship you need with God if you are in the valley of failure. Is that stubborn heart 
of pride. But this morning, God says to all of His children that when you're in that place, child, I'm with you. I am with you there. And I will see you out of it just as I did Abraham, just as I did David, just as I did Peter, if you will just let go of that thing and come and fall at the foot of the cross. I have one thing in my notes that is incredibly important to me and it helped me the first time that I I think, I mean, I just really felt like I blew it. I thought my ministry was over. And that is that God knew all along that these men were going to do what they did before He ever called them. You think God knew that David was going to fall on the ground and act like a madman when he said, Samuel, anoint this one king? Do you think that Jesus knew that Peter was going to deny him when he said, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom? Do you think that God knew that Abram was going to falter in his faith when he said, I'm going to make a great nation out of you? Yeah, he did. And I remember being at a place and I just felt like my whole ministry was over. I was really hard on myself during that period of my life. I mean, I thought, just thinking a wrong thought, that God was going to zap you with lightning. Thank God I've learned what the grace of God means. And this morning, really, that's what I'm preaching to you about. But I'll never forget that thought coming to me, that God, on that day you called me to preach, you knew I was going to do this. And yet, you called me anyways. And I begin to see His love for me. I begin to see that even in the middle of my failures, He was still there keeping me from going further and keeping me from doing worse. And and then He was taking my failures and using them. Uh, Not that it was His will for me to fall. Not that it was His will for me to fail. But He was taking them and using those things to teach me and to make me and to mold me into the man of God that I needed to be. And He was taking everything that I had done wrong and He was using it for the glory of His will for my life. And He was taking all things, working them out to the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. He was with me even in the valley of failure. And this morning, child of God, He's with you too. You need to know that He knew all along the day that He saved you, the day that He the day that you were born again, the day that He washed you of your sins, He knew that you would eventually fall. He knew that you would fail. And He loved you anyways. And He said, I've got a plan for your life. And don't think this morning that because you've walked through the valley of failure that His plans have been changed. He loves you and He is with you even now. These are all very lonely places to be. God wants you to know you're not alone. He is there. Sixth place that God is with us as a child of God is in the place of death. I think about Acts chapter 7 when Stephen, just before he was about to be martyred for his faith, the Bible tells us that he looked up into heaven and he saw the glory of God and the Son of God standing at the right hand of the Father. I've heard stories of Close friends of mine, Derek Stinnett comes to mind and as he was at, the, at his grandfather's bedside and watched him sit up, look into heaven with a smile on his face 
close his eyes and die. And I think, I wonder what his grandfather saw. Death is not an easy thing if you're not saved. But for the child of God, death has lost its sting. And He is with us in the place of death. He is with us when we leave this world to enter into the next. First Corinthians chapter 15 tells us that death has lost its sting and that the grave, Hades, has lost its victory. He's with us in the place of death and finally, He'll be there for us to behold forever and ever in eternity. In Revelation chapter 5, we see a glimpse of what that's going to be like for the child of God. In verse 11 of Revelation chapter 5, Then I looked and I heard a voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders. And the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such are as in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the twenty-four elders fell down and worshipped Him who lives forever and ever. He'll be there for us. He'll be there for us in heaven. And on that glorious day, what a day it will be when I won't ever feel again like maybe He's distant. I'll be able to behold His glory every minute of every hour of every day for all of eternity. He'll be there. Thank you, Jesus. So worship team comes this morning. I have two questions to ask. First of all, this morning, if you're not a child of God, if you've never been saved, you need to be. There is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And while I can't promise you that life is always going to be easy, I can promise you if you'll make Jesus your Lord that He'll be with you in every storm, in every fourth watch, in every trial, in every place of sacrifice, everywhere that you'll ever be, even in your failure, I can promise you He'll be there with you. This morning, do you need Him? And to the child of God, I just want to ask this morning, what's God speaking to your heart? Maybe He just wants you to know that He's there. You're not alone. Trust in Him. Run to Him. Maybe this morning you're in the valley of failure and God's saying, child, I haven't abandoned you. I know your pain. I know your confusion. 
But today is the day to come out of that place. Lay down your stubborn heart. Quit explaining why you do what you do and just fall at my feet. It's not about people. It's not about circumstances. It's about you and Him this morning. Whatever the need is in your life this morning, God wants you to know He's the answer. He's there. He's here. And He will be there. Amen. Amen.